Hello, my praying people. It is a rare moment for me right now. I'm sitting at home completely alone, and I have to confess that I kind of like it. (laughs) I want to um, share with you right here, smack dab in the middle of March, the... um, a couple of podcasts, maybe this will be part one, next week we'll do part two, that I'm going to put in partnership with some blog posts that I've posted on my leannemccoy.com website. If you'll go to l-e-i-g-h-a-n-n-m-c-c-o-y.com and on the menu you select the blogs and my most recent blog post, which I just actually posted a minute ago, is called Spiritual Authority and How to Use It, Part 1. And since I titled it Spiritual Authority and How to Use It, Part 1, I intend (laughs) to create a Part 2, which will come next week. And so I thought I would just accompany that blog post with the podcast that I do this week and next week. And so we're going to talk about spiritual warfare over these next couple of weeks. I don't know if you recognize and realize this, but prayer is the battlefield strategy. Prayer is warfare. And so to think that prayer and spiritual warfare are two different subjects is just not to think right, because prayer and spiritual warfare are one and the same. And so there are some really great things we need to understand and know about spiritual warfare and especially about the authority that we have when we show up on the battlefield to fight. So I think I'm going to talk about that this week and then again next week. And after that, you're going to be in for a treat because I'm going to move into a season of getting to interview some of my favorite people in the world. And we're going to have some podcasts that really center around some of those great interviews. So If you want to know about spiritual warfare, you know other people that want to know about spiritual warfare, you're going to want to share this podcast with them. Before I finish the introduction, I want to remind you that two of my books are on the subject of spiritual warfare. One is called Spiritual Warfare for Women. It's my best-selling book, and it's one that actually got translated into the Korean language and sells in the market in Korea. How cool is that? And then my other book on spiritual warfare is called Spiritual Warfare for Your Family. It is an especially powerful book for parents to um, digest, to read together, and to use as they're praying and winning the battles on behalf of their children. So Spiritual Warfare for Women and Spiritual Warfare for Your Family. I'll leave some uh, links in the show notes so that you can get to those books easily. So... um, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for being with us. And we will begin our podcast conversation on spiritual authority and how to use it. Or I might just be talking about spiritual warfare in general as um, a companion piece to this blog post that I posted. Have you ever heard the saying that that person is so spiritually minded that they're no earthly good? I think I might have even been guilty of saying that sometimes, or they might say they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. But the longer I walk with Jesus and the, um, I guess the further through life that my journey goes, the more I realize that all the way back from the very beginning um, that we get to read in the Bible about the beginning of our relationship with God, 
God has always wanted his spiritual presence to be um, engaged with us on earth. And so it's really impossible to be so spiritually minded that you're no earthly good. Because as we grow to be spiritually minded, as we grow to, to seek those things that are above, the whole purpose of that is so that the spiritual mind and heart and thoughts will infiltrate life here on earth. In fact, when Jesus prayed, you remember in the Lord's Prayer, he, he prayed this phrase, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the very nature of prayer is to connect us to the heart and the mind of the supreme ruler of the universe who dwells in spiritual places. And in that connection, we are the hands and feet. We are the, the, the physical representation of all that God wants to do in and through the world today. I read a, a comment the other day in a book that I was um, reading as part of my quiet time, and it said that we are the answer to our prayers. Now, I, I would have to unpack that maybe in another podcast one day, but the, the author was saying, and I believe it might have been Oswald Chambers. I may be pulling this right out of his book. He was saying that when we pray to God, we're not asking God to do something outside of us. When we're praying to God, we're offering ourselves to God and we're inviting him to do something in and through us. And so in that regard, because we've, we've aligned ourselves with God by coming into, into communication with him through prayer, then the spirit of God is moving in our hearts and our minds, even in our, our subconscious and our unconscious, and he's arranging and maneuvering and, and posturing us to be a participant in the very answer to our prayer. I don't know about you, but that, that gets me a little bit excited. So I, I said that today I would talk to you about spiritual authority and how to use it. And I have written a blog post, like I said in the introduction, but for this particular podcast, I'm going to basically just share what I've written in chapter seven of my book, Spiritual Warfare for Your Family. And the first thing I want you to know when we're talking about spiritual authority as it relates to spiritual warfare, and you know that I already said spiritual warfare and prayer are one and the same because prayer is the way we fight the battle. It is warfare. When we're praying, we're battling in the heavenlies for God to come onto earth and release his authority in that situation. So a solid understanding of spiritual authority is absolutely necessary for winning spiritual battles. So um, what is spiritual authority? Spiritual authority is the right to rule the heavenlies or the spiritual domains, which in turn rule the earth. And guess who this right belongs to? It belongs to God alone. God is this one and only supreme ruler of the universe. There are no other gods like him. All other gods are lesser gods. They are manifestations of demons or, or even figments of human imagination. And therefore, they are subject to the victory of Jesus on the cross. Spiritual authority is the exercise of God's perfect will over all creation from beginning to end. 
You see, God's supreme authority has never been in question. When the serpent came along and it was Satan manifested in the physical body of a serpent, of whatever means that is, uh, Eve and Adam gave in to the temptation that the serpent brought to them and disobeyed God. At that point, God did not lose his authority. What God lost was the intimate connection with mankind. And all throughout the Old Testament, as civilizations are be, being formed and they're becoming communities and they are the, um, the oh, how do you say, I want to say manifestation, but that word gets overused. But throughout the Old Testament, we're watching peoples connect with each other in a fallen world. And we're watching the evidence of the fallenness through all the bloody battles and and um, <clears throat> conflicts that we see recorded throughout the Old Testament. But as all of that goes, we also see in fallen humanity a, a very viable and ongoing spiritual um, hunger spiritual uh, life somewhat that is seeking spiritual connection. And to tell you the truth, I, I haven't seen a time in history where there hasn't been um, the effort on the part of people to activate and connect with spiritual things. Even atheists have done some kind of soul-searching and um, dismissal of spiritual things as an act of faith, that that's what they choose to believe. So throughout the Old Testament, when you see the peoples um, beginning to establish civilizations and, and governments and, and um, identities, they also established a God for themselves, a God that could represent the, the collective of the people, a God that could be created to um, connect with, um, a, a need for them to connect with something that was outside of themselves, beyond themselves, and maybe even um, representative of their fears or their hopes. And maybe they made more than one. Um, many, many civilizations made a plethora of gods. And the story, though, that unfolds in the Old Testament is God's ongoing supremacy and his authority and his sovereignty over all of those other gods. One of my favorite stories is when he took on the God of the Philistines. And uh, when the Philistines defeated the Israelites, they took the Ark of the Covenant, which represented for the Israelites the presence of God. It was The Ark was not an, an idol. It wasn't um, a personification of God. It was the seat where their unseen God and their unidentified God, you know, they couldn't personify him. It was the representative seat of where he sat, where he dwelt among them. <clears throat> And, and that was the same with the tabernacle and the temple. The tabernacle and the temple were like the earthly place where God came so that they could have something they could connect with that could bring the spiritual reality to something visible, something touchable, something they could physically interact with. And so when the ark was taken away from the Israelites, the Philistines thought they not had only conquered the people, but they had won the God, the God of the people. 
And so they put God, um, the Ark of the Covenant, right next to their God, Dagon. And, and what happened the next day? The next day they go into their Dagon's temple and they see that Dagon himself, that, that, um, that uh, iron or wood or whatever it was made out of, God was literally fallen face forward in front of the Ark of, the, Ark of God, the mercy seat of God, the Ark of the Covenant. And so they set him back up, you know, how dare Dagon have to bow to the Israelites' God. And then the next day when they came back to the temple, not only was Dagon not set up right next to God's Ark of the Covenant, but he was like split in two. And that is one of my favorite stories of God proving himself more powerful than the gods of, of the people. And so always from the beginning throughout time, God has been the supreme ruler of the universe, the undisputed Lord God Almighty, the one and only. He is God. And when the what compelled God, and it's really the story of the Bible when you link the Old Testament and the New Testament, what you see is God consistently communicating with a chosen people for the purpose of using the nation of Israel to communicate who he is and how he loves us to the rest of the world. Now, all this is happening in a, in a fallen and a sin-stained and a very um, confusing to us because we're so removed from that day and age. Uh, barbaric culture as we see it um, happening. But what you read, even um, that is goes beyond the cultural setting, what you understand and read is this relentless pursuit of God to let mankind understand that he loves us, that he loves us. And throughout the Old Testament, God used men and women to write and to put it down on paper so that we can have it still today, how great his love is for us and what his plan of redemption would one day be. And so when Jesus came along, when he came to earth, he himself continued to exercise the spiritual authority that was his because he is the son of God. He is the personification of God. He is the physical expression of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The communication of the supreme ruler of the universe was put into the flesh body of Jesus and dwelt among us. And while Jesus was here, one of the aspects of his ministry was the authority that he had and how he was able to do what other people couldn't. He was able to accomplish what other gods had never accomplished. In fact, in Mark 1.22, we read that the people were amazed at his teaching because Jesus taught them as one who had authority, not like the other teachers of the law, not like the other Jewish teachers of the law even. And then when Jesus died, He died to redeem mankind. Through his unfaltering obedience to God, Jesus fulfilled God's purpose to a T, and he released mankind from the... um, from the power that Satan had over us, because you see the separation between us and God was death, just like God said it would be. He said, don't eat from this tree lest you die. Satan comes along and says to Adam and Eve, you want to go eat from that tree 
because you want the knowledge of good and evil. You want to pursue um, your human um, expansion. You want to be all that you can be. You want to open your third eye and see what you cannot see now. You want to come out from under the authority of God. God doesn't, he's not looking out for your best. He's looking out for his best. And now you need to come away and understand that there's a better way and that's your way. And so when Adam and Eve succumbed to that, and today people are succumbing to this all the time. I mean, the great force against us and the battle we're fighting is the same battle that Satan introduced in Genesis chapter 3. It's, it's this battle of people wanting to have all of the goodness of God without having to have the authority of God in their lives are the rulership of the only one who is, um, who is worthy to sit on the throne. The appeal right now among people who resist Christianity and the twist that Satan's done to it is to say, you are the God. And if you will just open your eyes to see, and if you'll begin to see what, what I see, which is there is no evil, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. And real love does not dare point out wickedness and evil and, and terrible things. Real love is, is all accepting. It's all, it's all embracing. It's, uh, in fact, the only thing that's not good is those who dare to say that you need to yield yourselves to the authority of God in your lives and come to him in repentance and ask him to forgive you of your sins through the blood of Jesus. You see, you see, what Satan's saying to the world today is, it's all right. It's all good. It's all light. But apart from Jesus, it's all dark. It's not all right. It's not all good. What's good is that Jesus came and he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. And the beauty of accepting Jesus's extravagant gift of salvation to bring us into relationship with the genuine and true supreme God of the universe, to bring us into intimacy with him, is that we now get to rise up and have the same authority that he has. What did he say in the Great Commission? All authority has been given to me and now I give it to you. We have this spiritual authority. Now, I want to back up a minute, though, and talk about these spiritual authorities. So Jesus today continues to exercise spiritual authority from his position at the right hand of God. 1 Peter 3.22 says, Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God. And all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. Note that angels, authorities, and powers are subject to Christ. My friends, all spiritual powers are subject to Christ. Jesus Christ rules over them from the right hand of God. Spiritual authority belongs to God. It always has, and it always will. Satan led a rebellion against God's authority and was soundly defeated. You can go read about Satan's defeat in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, and Revelation 12, 7 and 9. Satan and a third of heaven's army that followed him into rebellion were cast down out of heaven. 
So where do they live now? This is important. So where do these spiritual beings that used to be angels? And I did a thorough conversation in my book, Spiritual Warfare for Women, about the extent and limitations of the power of angels and demons. You can um, get that book and read that. But Satan and a third of heaven's armies were cast out of heaven. So where do they live now? Satan and his rebel angels, which we call demons, they reside in what the scripture calls in Ephesians 2, 2, the kingdom of the air. Now, I'm not exactly sure what this refers to, but I imagine it to be like the air all around us. It's he and his demons dwell in the atmosphere. They also roam all over the earth. You can find the scriptural reference to that in Job 1, 7 and 1 Peter 5, 8. From where demons dwell, which is on the earth and in the atmosphere, they have access to us and their reality impacts ours. The spiritual power of people who are not born again is limited to the earthly realm. Now, what I'm saying is the spiritual power of people that are very much spiritually hungry, there is no lack of spiritual hunger in the world today. And there's no lack of spiritual power in the world today apart from Christ. But what there is not, for those that are apart from Christ, there is not spiritual authority. Because spiritual authority belongs to God and whomever he chooses to give it to. And we have been who he chooses to give it to when we have yielded ourselves and humbly received what only Jesus could do for us. And that's the reconnecting of us to God through his blood on the cross. Innocent blood shed for the guilty the guilty humbled to receive what was generously given and then being able to be brought in and become like Christ, seated in the heavenlies with him. I'm getting ahead of myself. But on the earth today, because there are the the presence of Satan and all of his demonic forces, a third of heaven's angels who became demons because they hover here, because they dwell here, they walk among us and they live among us. They can exercise their spiritual power in this place. And so those who don't know Jesus personally, who have rejected him or have never accepted him, are limited to the experience of their spirituality in this earthly realm. This earthly realm being the heavenlies that exist outside of where God is and the earth zone where we exist and where we dwell. Um. For a simple illustration, imagine life on earth and see that as just like a marble that looks like the earth, and that's where we dwell here on earth. Then imagine life in the air or in the heavens that surround the earth. It's that first level of like spiritual reality that's even in the air, the things we don't see. We know there's so many things that dwell that we don't see. And so I'm just saying that demons dwell both on the earth and in that air, in that zone that is not where where God lives, not the highest heavens where he where he rules supreme, but in this space that is still held captive by sin and it's where demons are allowed to hang out. So life on earth is our here and now. Surrounding the earth there's another atmosphere that I'm calling the air. And then surrounding that sphere of air 
And I would make that air kind of cloudy if I were doing it in colors. I would have my earth ball that looks beautiful like the earth. I would have kind of a cloudy, hazy fog around that ball, just swirling around that would be the air. And then imagine outside of that is the highest heavens where God rules and where he dwells and where he sits and where he watches over everything. Now that is not foggy at all. That is crystal clear. It's beautiful. It's bright. It's brilliant. It's, it's like rainbows all around. And so each sphere, each one of these things that I'm describing to you has authority to exercise power that is greater than the one before it. All right. So a person without Christ is also without hope for he or she dwells in the sphere with the most limited power. Apart from Christ, people are at the mercy of the powers of darkness or the spirits of the air. So Satan who dwells in the air gained power over the earth through the fall of man and so Satan and his demons had nothing to rule over until Adam and Eve were created. But even though Satan gained the power of death as a result of sin, God always dwelt supreme over all of his creation. The reason God continues to engage in life on earth is because of his love for mankind, not because of a power struggle. All right? So the power of sin that separates mankind from God was destroyed when Jesus died on the cross and God raised him from the dead, Jesus came from the right hand of God in heaven. He penetrated the air, that foggy gray matter where demons dwell and heavenly beings exist. And he lived on earth. And when he lived on earth, he lived without sin. Perfect. He was crucified to pay for our sins as the perfect unblemished lamb. And then he was resurrected from the dead, never to die again. He wasn't resuscitated like Lazarus was. He was resurrected. And in this way, he paved the way for us, for all people, to be raised up with him into the highest heaven. You see, in Christ, we have power over principalities that exist in the air. And we have access to heaven's power and authority, which rule over the air and the earth. And so what I, the way I see it is a great big cross that penetrates all the way from the throne of God to earth, to Bethlehem. And oh, how the angels sang when heaven came to earth and he just zoned right in. There wasn't anything the devil could do to stop him. Even after he stirred up crazy Herod to get him to go kill the baby boys, he could not, he could not stop Jesus from doing what he came here on the earth to do. Jesus came from heaven to earth. He arrived. And when he got there, he opened up a shaft, if you will, um, a portal. That's a, that's a word people like. He opened up a portal all the way from our earth dwelling place, the physical realm, all the way to the highest heavens. And it went straight through the darkness, the air, the atmosphere where demons dwell and there wasn't anything the demons could do about it. And so when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we get to come into that portal and be immediately transported to an intimate, personal, dynamic relationship with the Lord God Almighty. And then as we live in this earth, we have access to the power of God through 
the cross of Jesus, through the obedience of Jesus, we have power, we have power that God gives us through the authority he's given in Christ. So the way I see it is through the cross of Christ, we come to an intimate personal relationship with God. And with that intimacy, we have access to his unmatched, unsurpassed power that is greater than the laws of nature and the laws of the principalities of darkness that swirl about in the air. God allows his power to flow through us when we're walking in oneness with him. That's the kicker. That's the key, my friends. We have the same authority when we have the same mind and the same heart when we choose to yield ourselves just like Jesus did. If you wish to come after me, you'll take up your cross. You'll deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And as we do that, we come into oneness with him. And our goal is to walk out the personal reality of Jesus's statement. When he said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the father, John 14, 12. So you may want to say to me, well, then why, if if we're the ones who've got the power and the power is so much greater than everybody else's, why are there so many supernatural things that people are claiming are happening? Why are people seeing things that they could not see before? Why are they having supernatural experiences? And I mean, people are having some strange experiences. Sometimes they, they, use, um, they use chemicals to... Uh, uh, what they would say would be to expand their mind's ability to experience more spiritual reality. And um, sometimes as they experience this more spiritual reality, they have all kinds of evidence of um, supernatural um, uh, power being displayed on the platform of their lives. They're able to do things that you're just like, that's not humanly possible, but they do it. And the reason they can, my friends, is because there is spiritual power still operating in and around and on the earth today. But it's not God's. It's it's other than God. It's, it's the power of Baal and the power of Dagon and the, and the power of Asherah and the power of Takawa. And, and it's the power of all these other demonic personifications that are not um, blatantly taking God on. They're just um, mimicking God-like characteristics and, and God-like qualities. And, and they're deceiving people who have a hunger for spiritual connection. And they're connecting with people that on their own, with their own free will, choose to connect with them. And out of that, they operate in um, seemingly supernatural. Well, it is supernatural. It's, it's beyond the natural in beyond the natural ways. But at the very heart of that, you will not find a, um, an exalting of the name of Jesus. And the scripture very clearly tells us, Jesus himself said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father 
except by me. And so if you are listening to this and you've been distracted by the evidence of the supernatural, and because of that, you felt like that was evidence that this then is genuinely God, then you go to that God and you say, what do you make of Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? I, and, and, and dare to say that, that you choose to align with Jesus and see if that's okay. Or if you'll feel a stirring in your spirit that that's certainly not okay. You cannot do that. Or it's like, well, you know, he's just one of many. And if any God or any thought process leads you to think that way, then you're not listening to Jesus because you just said that, gee, okay, he's good. He's a good guy. I can accept Jesus. Well, can you? And is he really a good guy? Because he said he was the only one. And if you cannot accept that he's the only one, then you're not accepting Jesus. So anyway, I'm getting off track. But anyway, this is a good place to be reminded. Even though I'm telling you there are spiritual authorities, there are principalities, there are powers of the darkness. That's what the scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 6. But every one of those authorities and powers, even though they are supernatural, they're pretty fascinating. They're enticing and they're smart. And 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 they're tapping into you in the the sensitivity you have and the yearning you have to connect spiritual things. But this is a good place to be reminded of Colossians 2.15. And what I said earlier related to it is that the enemy has been utterly defeated and completely disarmed. Colossians 2.15 says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. You know that in the days of Roman rule, when the New Testament was written, When Rome defeated their enemies, the enemy leaders were humiliated. They weren't killed on the battlefield. They were saved to be dragged back through the streets of Rome in a triumphal procession. And they would, the Roman soldiers would build floats. And as these floats are being pulled through the streets, they would reenact highlights of the battles. And at the end of this parade, the crushed people would be forced to walk amid the jeering and the heckling of the crowd of their ones they had been defeated by, who would make a spectacle of them and their defeat. And then following the captives, the conquered ruler or rulers were led by chains. Sometimes they were maimed by the removal of their thumbs and toes. And this represented their complete defeat and the fact that they would never hold a sword in battle or be able to stand erect. In fact, after the Jews were defeated in A.D. 70, their leader, Simon, son of Giavus, was led through the streets of Rome in the victory parade with his head in a noose. And when he arrived at the forum, he was executed. And after his execution, a cry of victory rang out through the people, and that was the way that they celebrated the ultimate defeat over their enemy. You see, Tom and I actually walked in the footsteps of Simon as we toured the Roman forum. And I can literally visualize these victory parades. And so I could see the Christians in Colossae. The early church believers in Colossae completely understood what Paul meant when he said that Jesus, having disarmed the powers and authorities, made a public spectacle of them. Jesus soundly defeated Satan on the cross. He disarmed him and made a public spectacle of him. I like to think of the diamond-studded sterling silver and cross, gold crosses that we wear on our necks and our ears. 
what used to be the cruelest form of punishment that the world had ever known, and it was the form of punishment used to kill Jesus, but now we turn it into gold and diamonds and silver, and we wear it around our neck, and I think of that as making a public spectacle out of the defeat of evil, because God transformed what was evil into good. So my friends, this is what I'm saying to you, that God established spiritual authority in the heavenlies, but he has also established it on the earth. And um, we have the opportunity to exercise the spiritual authority that God has in heaven here on earth. When you pray and when you're praying against the wickedness, the evidence of deception, the rearing up of the demonic in the lives of those you love, in your community, in our government, in our world, as I'm recording this podcast, Russia is invading the Ukraine and just tromping on people. They've got no business being there. But when we're confronting that kind of wickedness, we need to understand that we don't show up at some kind of disadvantage to the excessive evil and wickedness. And even if it's personally painful, if we can be wounded and we can hurt because the reality of the right now can be really raw. There you go. A lot of R's. The reality of the right now can be really raw. But the truth of the matter is that we are the army of the living God who's been given all authority in heaven and on earth, authority that is ours through the name of Jesus and the blood of the lamb. And when we pray, when we exercise this authority by connecting with God in prayer, pleading our cause before him as the righteous, redeemed saints that we are, then we can know that to the glory of God, Whatever the enemy's doing now will one day be made a public spectacle of. We have spiritual authority in our world today. We have spiritual authority when we align our heart with the heart of God. We align our thoughts with the thoughts of Jesus. How do you do that? Leanne, how do you align your heart and your mind? You, you get in the word. You stay in the word of God. You read the red letters, but you read the black ones too. You invite God to, to show you more than just the what's on that page right now, but how it all weaves together. You stay on the word on a consistent and a daily basis. You fellowship with other believers and you share your, your thoughts and your doubts and your questions and you wrestle together. But you also, you weep together and you rejoice together and you hold each other up and you experience the love of God in community with other believers. How do, we, how do we experience the authority of God? We engage with the world that we live in. We recognize that the world, it may very well be out of control, but God preordained and ordered that we would be living in this world right now at this time to represent his kingdom, to establish his kingdom's rule and his kingdom's reign. And instead of shirking back and being quiet, we show up and we be heard because we have victory. Spiritual authority, supreme spiritual authority, always has belonged to God, belongs to God now, and always will. And we, as his children, those of us who've been bathed in the blood of Jesus to make us white as snow, can take up the armor that God's given us, which really is the person of Jesus Christ. And we can 
stake claim to what Satan may be trying to steal from you, that belongs to you. Go get it. This is ours. This is our authority, and we have it. Well, there you have it, my praying people. I hope that you can make sense of that. I set out to really just teach you or share with you what was in chapter seven of my book, Spiritual Warfare for Your Family. But I kind of got, I got carried away a little bit there in the midst of it. (laughs) But I hope that this gives you insight and allows you to understand that um, the devil has been soundly defeated. And so, you know, one of your questions might be, it would be mine if I had just listened to me teach that, is, well, then why, why am I fighting so many battles? Why is it that so much is happening that is just wicked and evil? Well, the reason is because, um, well, I think several reasons. One is the devil's still alive and well, and he still um, maintains. He's the prince of this present darkness. And um, so our work here is executed on the battlefield that's going on in this world. And so it is a mess. It is messy. And I used to think that if I got enough understanding about spiritual warfare, I could just really find a place in life where all would go well with me and um, that that would somehow be the end that I had in sight. But what I've learned is life here on earth is always going to be a battle. There will always be a mess, and we will move from one mess to the other. But our ultimate goal, our this is good, is to declare the glorious name of Jesus in every nook and cranny of our lives. And to fight for, and fight for by what I mean is claim the promises God's given you and have the faith to believe that God's going to accomplish that which He set out to do. He's going to watch over His Word to perform it, Jeremiah 1.12. And then we continue to just ignore what's going on, and not ignore, but not be defeated by what's going on around us. Keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and fight gallantly strong. Here's the deal. The saints in heaven are cheering us on. One day we'll join them, and we'll be cheering on those that are still here. But then those around you are being encouraged by your um, confidence and by your prowess and by your skill that you are developing from battle to battle. And the beauty of it all is you don't have to wait until it's quiet on the battlefield in order to do a little bit of partying and dancing. You see, even in the midst of the battle, you can celebrate the fact that God really is good all the time and that all the time God is good. You can celebrate the fact that the God that's going to keep your promise will also be your provision until you get there. And you're going to grow, and you're going to teach others to grow, and you're going to come alongside each other and celebrate the love and camaraderie that you find in the trial. And you're going to discover at the end of your life, the well done, my good and faithful servant. So that's part one. We'll come up with, we'll, we'll talk about more about spiritual authority and how we can know beyond a shadow of doubt we can win on the battlefield. I'll probably share with you in our next podcast, um, how uh, to pray um, impenetrable uh, prayers, prayers that we know God's going to answer. So take care of my praying people. Be sure to check out our show notes. I'll leave you links for the blog post and for my books. I'm also going to link you to um, another blog post that I saw recently talking about the power of praise 
and um, what the beautiful privilege we have in prayer of praising the God we need. For instance, if you're sick, you praise him for being the healer. If your relationships are broken, you praise him for being the restorer. Um, So anyway, I'll share a link to that as well. I look forward to talking with you again soon. And between now and then, don't forget about the Prayer Clinic ministry. Go visit us at prayerclinic.com and learn how you can have a praying church, how we can mobilize you to pray and um, have more um, exciting victories right there on the beautiful houses of prayer that God wants our churches to be. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks.